rejoicing. And I have to admit, uh, I kind of stole that uh, idea. Really, as I was going through this uh, this sermon, as I was getting an outline together, it kind of came together. And as I was kind of thinking of different ideas, I, uh, something came into my head. Uh, many of you know Brother Roger Daniel. He used to pastor a church in Neville, Ohio. Now he is he's moved to Arkansas. I have no clue why anybody would voluntarily move to Arkansas, but he did. And so that's where he's at now, pastoring a church. Uh, but when he was at Neville, uh, when I was in high school, their midweek service was on Thursdays. And so when I was in high school, I would a lot of times I would drive out there because it was about 15 minutes away from mom and dad's house. And so uh, I would drive out there and be in service with them. And one thing, I don't know if he does it where he's at now, but at Neville, every time he would close his service, it was a little bit of a responsive thing. He would say, remember, if you go away praying and trusting, you can come back and the crowd would respond rejoicing. And so as I was getting this together, I thought about that. And so uh, I thought, well, praying, trusting and rejoicing, that's, that's a good outline for this passage. And so really the idea that I wanted to start with is, when we're going through uncertain times, when we're going through job loss, financial instability, relationship problems, family problems, uh, health problems, when we receive unexpected news, and we don't know where to turn, what should we do? And so really what we should do is those three things, praying, trusting, and rejoicing. And so as I was studying this, Psalm 20, we're, really, we're going to read Psalm 20 in its entirety, we're going to reference Psalm 21. These are both Psalms of David. Most scholars believe that these are kind of companion Psalms. Uh, we believe that David wrote Psalm 20 as he was getting ready to go into battle. So he was facing uncertainty. Uh, no matter what your military might is, there's always uncertainty when you go into battle. Because there will be casualties and there will be mortalities. And so we... When you're going into battle, you have uncertainty and you don't know where to go. And so Psalm 20, we believe, was written before the battle. And Psalm 21, we believe, was written after the battle. And so again, we believe that these are uh, companion uh, psalms. And so like I said, we will read Psalm 20 in its entirety. And I do want to mention, uh, just by way of some instruction, uh You'll notice as you follow along that I will skip a word every once in a while. I believe it might just happen once in Psalm 20. It happens again in Psalm 21. There's a word that you see in the Psalms that uh, is a mysterious word. We don't really know what it is. It's called Selah. And uh, I remember growing up, there were some scholars that would teach that Selah means to stop and reflect back on what was just said. Most scholars today believe that Selah has something to do with the musical connotation of the Psalms. So if you understand that the book of Psalms, these are songs. This was the songbook uh, of, the, of the Jewish people. Uh, in fact, even in the New Testament, when you come to the Last Supper, it talks about them singing songs. And they were singing certain psalms that were customary to sing at certain times. And so these were meant to be sung. And so we believe that Selah has something to do, maybe it's a musical interlude, maybe it has something to do, it's some sort of musical instruction, we believe. And so I was taught in college that you uh, skip over that, you don't read that out loud, that it's not meant to be read, it's not really a part of the meaning of the song. 
it is a part of the musical connotation. So just so you know, that's just some instruction. Um, and so I always want to point that out anytime we're in the book of Psalms and uh, we see that. And also, before we read it, it is the book of Psalms, but when you refer to a particular psalm, it's not Psalms 20, it's Psalm 20. It's just like you would say, turn to him, 20. And so when you refer to the book, it's the book of Psalms. When you refer to an individual psalm, it's just Psalm 20 or Psalm 21. So just some instructions uh, for uh, your Bible study uh, as we go along. So Psalm 20, to the chief musician, a psalm of David. The Lord hear thee in the day of trouble. The name of God of Jacob defend thee. Send thee help. Uh, from the sanctuary, and strengthen thee out of Zion. Remember all thy offerings, and accept thy burnt offerings. Grant thee according to thine own heart, and fulfill all thy counsel. We will rejoice in thy salvation. In the name of our God, we will set up our banners, and the Lord fulfill thy petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed, and he will hear him, from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They are brought down, before, brought down and fallen, but we are risen and stand upright. Save, Lord, let the king hear us when we call. So as we face battles in our own life, like I said, whether it's financial battles or uh, battles with our own family or physical battles with our health, when we face uncertainty, what should we do? Well, I think the first thing we ought to do is we ought to be praying. We ought to be praying. Prayer for a Christian ought to be a regular habit. It ought to be something that we do naturally. It ought to be something that comes naturally to us and is just as natural to us as breathing is uh, to anybody else. When we are facing struggles in our lives and we don't know where to go, we are to be praying. Uh, in fact, uh, there is a there's a song out right now that, uh, first of all, the guy who sings his, his stage name is Jelly Roll. I can't stand Jelly Roll for one reason. About a year ago, I was at a funeral and they played one of his songs, uh, and it was the most depressing thing I'd ever seen in my entire life. Uh, the song basically was saying, "I'm worthless. I'm useless. Don't don't cry over that." And I thought, what a song to play at a funeral. That was so disgusting, I thought. And so ever since then, I just, I can't stand listening to his music. Uh, it's, most of it's inappropriate anyway. But he has a song right now that's very popular. Uh, and the chorus says, I only talk to God when I need a favor. And unfortunately, that's how most people view God. They only worry about God when something is going on. Uh, we see it, uh, we've all seen it in church. We know people that when uh, struggles come their way, if they have a death in the family or if they have a serious sickness or if they have a financial issue, they come to God and they show up to church and they, they come down the altar and they, they lay their heart out and they pray. And once everything settles down and things go kind of go back to normal, they fall away again. But as Christians, that shouldn't be our mentality. Our mentality should be that we pray all the time, whether we're in good times or bad times. In fact, in First Thessalonians Chapter 5, verse 17, Paul commands us, he says, pray without ceasing. Now, obviously, we can't, uh, we can't be praying all the time. I mean, we, like, 
I mean, you wouldn't be able to accomplish anything in life if you were just constantly praying. But I think the idea there is that we should always be in a spirit of prayer. We should never be surprised by anything in our lives so much the fact that we can't pray. We should never be in a situation where we uh, don't know what to do and, and we forget that we ought to be praying because in our lives, prayer ought to be something that happens automatically. And I found that uh, the most natural prayers, the most uh, authentic prayers that I've ever heard come from those who are facing uncertainty and have nowhere else to go. And they realize that their only hope is to turn to the God of heaven. In fact, we see David see the, show this side of him again in Psalm uh, 61. In Psalm 61, he is facing another battle in his life, and this was more of a spiritual battle. And he says, Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I will call unto you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. When we have nowhere else to go, when we don't know what else to do, we need to go to the rock. We need to go to uh, the, the, the rock of our life, which is God. We need to stand upon him. We need to make sure that we are putting all of our trust in him. We, are making, we need to make sure that we are making our needs known to him. And I didn't put this verse in our uh, presentation this morning, but uh, in the New Testament we're reminded that there are times in our lives where we are so distraught that we, we don't even know the right words to say. And the Bible says that in those moments, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. And he goes to God and it says with, with groanings too deep for words, when, when we are so distraught and we don't know what to do and we don't even know what to say, if we just go to God in prayer, even if we don't know what exactly to say, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. And so when we don't know where to go, we should be praying. But not only should we be praying, we should be trusting. We should trust in the one trustworthy thing in this entire universe. We should trust in our God. We should trust in that rock that is higher than I that David spoke about in Psalm 61. Now, I want to show you uh, something on, in Psalm 20, verse 7 and 8. A little bit of a Bible study lesson here. Uh, so this is written in Hebrew poetry. And so one, uh, one characteristic of Hebrew poetry that you see a lot is called chiasm. Uh, and so chiasm, normally it's two separate thoughts that go back and forth. And normally you see A, B, B, A. This is A, B, A, B. And so you see this, and it's used as a way to highlight the difference between the two thoughts. And so when you see this, I have it outlined there, you know, the A thought and the B thought. So he says here, the A, some trust in chariots and some in horses. And then the B is we trust in the name of our God. The A is they collapse and fall. The B is but we rise. And stand upright. And so you see there the contrasting of the two different people. He says, these people, other people, they trust in their horses, in their chariots. We might also say they trust in their intellect or their wealth or their power or their, their finances or their influence. But David says, we, we trust in the name of our God. 
they trust in everything in this world that eventually is going to be destroyed anyway and has failed many, many times. He says, we're going to trust in God who has never failed and who will never fail and who will always be here forever. So that's where we put our trust. Then we go back to the other people. He says, the result is they collapse and fall. But the result of us trusting in God, we rise and stand upright. And so here you see this chiastic phrasing here that shows us the difference. And so whenever you're reading through the Psalms, look for those repeated uh, items when it goes back and forth between two different thoughts. That's it's, The writer there is trying to highlight those thoughts. And so David says, if you trust on things on this earth, you're going to fall. You're going to be disappointed. They're going to fail you. But if you trust in the name of God, you're not going to fall. You're not going to fail. You're going to rise and you're going to stand upright. And so this morning, we ought to be trusting in the name of God. In fact, he repeats this thought in the next Psalm, Psalm 20, verse 7. He says, For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. You see, like I said, Psalm 21 is a rejoicing of what had happened. They had gotten victory in that battle. And David is acknowledging one of the reasons that they had uh, victory in this battle is because they trusted in the Lord. He says the king trusts in the Lord. And if you notice the, the importance of that, I mean, this is the king we're talking about. The king who, he might have advisors, but the, you know, at the end of the day, we might say the, the buck stops with him. But the king, he didn't trust his own might or his own power or his own influence or his own intellect. He trusted in the Lord. And the Lord gave them victory because of that. See, in our lives, we ought to have uh, trust in God. We have to have faith that God can do what he says he can do. But, you know, I, I think it's important to understand. You know, it, it's easy to, to preach about this and, and to talk about this, but the fact of the matter is, unless Jesus comes back before this time, every single one of us will get sick to the point where we will die. So the question is, well, what happened then? Did they just not, if someone gets terminal illness and they die from that, did they just not pray enough? Did they just not trust enough? No. They still trusted in God. And because they trusted in God when they die, if they're in Christ, they're now living a completely perfect life in heaven. You see, I think we need to have the same faith that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had in the book of Daniel, and just to kind of review the story, uh, the children of Israel have been taken into captivity. And King Nebuchadnezzar, <coughs> excuse me, King Nebuchadnezzar had set up a statue. He said, whenever the music plays, everybody needs to bow down and worship that statue. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were three Israelite men. And they had determined that they were not going to bow down to this uh, this false god. And of course, the, the penalty for that was being thrown in the fiery furnace, basically a death sentence. And so they're brought before King Nebuchadnezzar. <clears throat> and the king asked them, what do you have to say for yourselves? And in Daniel chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, they give their answer. They say, if this be so, 
Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Now let me stop right there. Now we know the end of the story. We know that they get thrown in the fiery furnace. A couple of the, the fire is so hot that a couple of the guards that throw them in there actually die from the heat. They get thrown in there. They don't, nothing happens to them. In fact, what we believe happened, a fourth man is there. Uh, we think that it, it's either an angel or most likely a uh, Old Testament appearing of Christ is walking around with them. And so the king orders them out and they don't even, you know, you've been around a campfire and you, you leave and you smell like fire. They, they've been in the fire and they don't even have a smell of smoke on them after they get out. So we know that. We know the end of the story. They didn't know the end of the story. They were experiencing it right there. They were standing right next to this fire furnace looking at their death sentence. And so they tell the king, our God is able to deliver us. But you know, they didn't stop there. They said, but if not, if God doesn't deliver us, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. See, that's the kind of trust that we have to have. Because they said, look, we trust that God can deliver us. We know that God can deliver us. But even if he chooses not to, even if we die this painful, horrible death, we are still going to trust in God. And in our lives, that is the kind of trust that we ought to have when we are going through our battles. We have to understand that things may not get better on this earth. But we know uh, just as Paul said, and I, I don't have this verse either, but it's just as Paul said that the sufferings on this earth, they don't even compare to the glory that we're going to experience one day in heaven. So we have to have that level of trust. That we know that God can deliver us, but even if he doesn't deliver us from our battles, we know that we will still serve him. In the book of Numbers, the children of Israel have been, <clears throat> they've been released from captivity, from, the, from slavery, from the Egyptians. They've seen the, all of the miracles of the parting of the Red Sea. They've seen uh, the thunderings and, and lightnings around the, the Mount Sinai when, they, when Moses got the Ten Commandments. They, they've seen all of this. And they get to the edge of the land that God had promised them. And God told them, <clears throat> he said, when you get there, there's going to be vineyards that you're going to reap from that you didn't plant. He said, you're, you're going to have all of this stuff. There's going to be houses there that you're going to live in that you didn't build. And he said, because I gave you this land. And so they send 12 spies, one spy from each tribe. They 12, send 12 spies into the land to figure out what to do. And if you know the story, the spies come back. And they said, man, you would not believe this place. They said, it's a land that's flowing with milk and honey. There's food for everybody. They said the grapes, the clusters of grapes are so big that it takes two full-grown men uh, to be able to carry them, one on each end. And they said, this place is amazing. But we got a problem. The people that live there, they are gigantic. They said, to, compared to us or compared to them, we're like grasshoppers. And there's no way that we can conquer them. There's no way that we're going to be able to overtake them. And so there were two spies, Joshua and Caleb, that spoke up in Numbers chapter 14, verse 6 through 9. 
Joshua, son of Nun, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we pass through to spy out, it is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land. For they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. See what Joshua and Caleb were saying? You know, the other ten spies, they were saying, look at all the horses and the chariots that they have. Joshua and Caleb were saying, we're going to trust in the name of our God. They were saying, look at all this stuff. And Joshua and Caleb were saying, yeah, but those guys, they're going to fall. They're going to fall and they're going to, they're going to be laid down. And they said, but we are going to rise up and we're going to stand upright. That's the type of trust that we need to have in God. A few years ago at our uh, men's retreat, Brother Rob Morgan spoke. Uh, and he, uh, Brother Rob is probably the most known, well-known outside of Frugal Baptist circles. He's the most well-known Frugal Baptist pastor that we have. Uh, he is on national media a lot, uh, giving uh, Christian perspectives on news events. Uh, he has written a number of best-selling books. He writes often for David Jeremiah. He uh, has traveled all over the world and spoken all over the world. But when he was in grad school, he became friends with Billy and Ruth Graham uh, because he was in grad school next to where they are in the same area where they lived, and he met them and became friends with them. And he told a story in our in our uh, men's retreat that I uh, every time I think of this passage I. Think of what he said. He said he was uh, meeting with Sister Ruth Graham and he was relaying to her he was going through some struggles in his life and he didn't know what to do. And she told him, she said, Rob, you know the difference between the ten spies and the two spies in the book of Numbers? She said the ten spies compared the giants to themselves. But the two spies compared the giants to God. And when we are going through struggles, if we compare the battle that we're facing to our own life, to our own intellect, to our own wisdom, to our own might, we're going to be overwhelmed. We're going to say, we're going to be just like the 10 spies saying, yep, that I want to get to the other side, but there's no way. There's no way I'm going to get through that. But you see, when I compare my struggles and the battles that I face, when I compare that to God, there's no comparison. I mean, do you, do you really think that God, I mean, do you think it's God looks at something that we're going through saying, phew, I don't know, that, that's going to be a tough one right there. I'll, I'll have to pull out all the stops on that one. No. For God, it, it's nothing. And so if we trust in God, he will bring us through the battle. And as we come out of the other side of the battle, come to the last thing that we need to be doing is we need to be rejoicing. We always need to remember when God brings us on the other side of a battle. Psalm 20 verse 5 he says, may we shout for joy over your salvation. In the name of our God, set up our banners. 
Later on in Psalm 21, the opening, the first two verses, he says, O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exalts. You have given him his heart's desire, and have not withheld the request from his lips. See, when we come out on the other side of our battle, and we come through with victory, be sure to remember that. Any time that we have a special experience with God, we need to remember that time, remember that place. In the Old Testament, they had a couple of different ways that they would do this when those things would happen. If you were here uh, this past Sunday night, we talked about uh, Dad was going through when uh, God asked Abraham to sacrifice Jake, uh, Isaac. And uh, they go up on the mountain, and just before he goes to kill his own son, God stops him and provides a ram for a sacrifice. And so the Bible says that after that was over, uh, Abraham renames that place Jehovah Jireh, which means God provides. And he renamed it to remind himself of the time that God provided for him. Later on, we, we read in the book of Numbers when they were spying out the land, because of the disobedience of the people and not trusting in God, God causes them to wander around for 40 years before they can get to the promised land. As far as we know, there are only two people that were in that original set of, of millions of people that were getting ready to go into the land. There's only two people that we know of for sure that got into that land. And that was Joshua and Caleb. But when they uh, are coming into the land, they, they go across the Jordan River and God parts the river for them. And Joshua commands them, the leaders of the tribes, to bring these basically boulders and stack them up. And he said, the reason I want you to do this is because he said, years from now, when you're walking by this place and your children see these rocks standing up, they're going to ask you, what, what does that mean? Why are those rocks there? And he said, when, you, when your children ask you that, you're going to tell them of all the things that God did for us in the wilderness. You're going to tell them of all the things that God provided for us. You're going to tell them of all the miracles that God did. And so that was a way to remind them of what God had done in their life. And I was reminded of that this past weekend and, uh, when I, I mentioned when I went into their little setup there. It, it reminded me of the special time that that was, that Emmaus Walk that was uh, in my life. And it, it kind of reinvigorated me. And it, it was such a, a sweet spirit there. And, and it was such a great thing to experience again. And, and it reminded me of God's provision in my past. Um, as I was preparing this, I, I was thinking of... Uh, you know, the idea of rejoicing. Um, you know, many of you know, this has been almost 10 years ago now this happened. You know, Jocelyn had a heart defect and we went in, we had been meeting with the heart surgeons for about a year and we had gone in fully expecting. They had told us, they said, we're going to do one last round of testing. That's really just so that they could get images for the surgery. They said, at the end of this, we're going to schedule open heart surgery. And so we went in fully expecting to schedule open heart surgery for Jocelyn. And the, uh, the uh, doctor, when they saw the images, they didn't believe it. They said that they didn't believe the report from the sonographer, so they went and looked at the images themselves because they didn't believe it. And, and even he went to another doctor to make sure he wasn't misreading it. And when he was telling us about it, he said, you know, he said, I've never seen something like this happen before. He said, it's, it's, it's honestly... 
quite miraculous, and he stopped. And he goes, well, I wouldn't really call it a miracle. But he said, I've never seen it. And so me and Nicole kind of looked at him, and we said, well, we'll call it a miracle, because we know exactly how it happened. And so when you have things like that happen, when God touches your life in a special way, you need to make sure that you remember it, that you rejoice in it, that you give God praise. It's not just, you know, a lot of times what happens when people like Jelly Roll, that I only go to God when I need a favor. Once you get that favor, then God's out the door again. That's not how it ought to be with a Christian. With Christians, it ought to be that we rejoice in the fact that we acknowledge that God gave us that victory. In fact, earlier we read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and I just gave you a snippet of what Paul says there. The whole context there is uh, verse 16 through 18. He says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. We read that earlier. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So we are commanded twice, really, to rejoice. He says, rejoice always. Then he says, in all, or pray without ceasing. Then he says, in all things, give thanks. It doesn't matter what goes on in our lives. And like I said, we ought to be like the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Old Testament and say, I know that God can deliver me, but even if he doesn't, I'm still going to praise him. I'm still going to trust him. I'm still going to serve him. So this morning, I don't know what is what you're facing. I don't know what uncertainty you're facing, but I'm sure all of us have situations in our lives we we would just rather just not go through. We would just rather be able to read the end of the story and know how it's going to all work out. But whatever it is in your life, I encourage you to be praying, trusting, and rejoicing. Let's stand together. God has not promised that everything in our life will be painless and without stress and without uncertainty. But he has promised that he said that he will never leave us or forsake us. He is always there with us. Even when we don't feel like he is there, he is there. And we just need to be praying, trusting, and rejoicing in him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, right now I pray for our congregation. I pray that those that are going through uncertain times, that you would comfort their heart. That you would give them boldness and courage to face the uncertain times ahead of them. That you would calm them, that you would show them your love in their life. Help us to live out these ideas of praying, trusting, and rejoicing. Help us to always trust in your name, in your name alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.